0: We are going to get into a subject on the topic of alcohol. you say, why would you take a couple of Sundays to address this issue? Number one, because we're a church and this is in the Bible, okay? And it's not only in the Bible, it's in the world. And this subject is ripping apart our nation. And it is getting worse and worse and worse. And for us to sit there and say just because it's controversial to stick our head in the sand is not going to solve the problem, and so I believe that it's important to be able to bring out what the Bible says. And I'm going to be honest. I have studied this to the point where I had, I had 18 pages of notes just to bring this morning. And I had to come in this morning just to pull it apart to figure out what I could bring in in, in a 30-35 minute portion this morning. Because I am bringing this in two, uh, in two weeks. Today will be the warning of what the Bible says about alcohol. The warning. Flashing it before us and coming out. But as I get into this, I want you to know that number one, our hearts should always be to glorify God. Let me say that again. Our hearts as Christians should always be to glorify God. And with so many issues that we talk about, it breaks my heart that it's more about what can we get away with rather than what's right. It's more about what's wrong with something than rather than what's right with something. Rather, the people bring up the subject of who am I hurting as opposed to asking the question of who am I helping? You study the, the life of Jesus Christ. And everything that we do, we should be asking, how does this glorify God? Because he says, whether therefore you eat or drink, you do all to the glory of God. How would this affect my life, my witness, and my purpose? How would this help me point people to Christ? And how does this edify me and others? And When we get away, I, I, I almost like in nauseous to even have to step over this world to get in here when I'm thinking why are we dabbling with this when there's a world that is dying and going to hell and so much bigger issues that we should have our hearts in but I also know that Satan has wrapped this leash around so many people's ankles and he's dragging them around with it and I believe that we need to speak up because we are light in the darkness and we can't be when the light's not shining through us as pastor I will be transparent as I talk through this because I'll be honest I am already biased against it I know the subject of this that I'm getting up to tell you this morning is what does the Bible say about it? And I'm big on, I'm, I'm not going to preach my opinion. But as a pastor that deals with people, I can't help get away from seeing the devastation of it. And I, I, I can't tell you how it breaks my heart over and over and over again the more that I study this and how I know that the Bible always makes sense in the respects that God's going to do things for our edification, For weeks I have done a study on Wednesday night about the edification of the church, about edifying one another and about how God builds us up. This study is huge that we've been going through. How the church is here to edify one another and how we ought to one another edify and build up. How Christians ought to do that. How preaching, music, fellowship, discipline, discipleship, all those things that we have, God has given us through the Bible for our edification. Paul said in 2 Timothy 10.8 he says for though I should boast somewhat more of our authority which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction I should be not be ashamed can I give you something from God and tell you that God's going to use it to build you up not to destroy you God gives it to us to lead us to him not to lead us astray the Bible says in James 1.17, and just so you know, yes, you will be getting a whole lot of verses this morning. I gave Richard my verses, and he was like, I can't remember what he came back. He said, you do realize you gave me almost like 40 verses that we're going to be going through. The Bible says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I read this, and I see what God has for us Of how God has assembled us and called us to build us up, make us strong, put us on a rock, take us off of the sand, put us on something stable. And then when I see the results of this, I have to, have to step back and go, whoa, what is going on? Because Christians will take this world that I'm about to unveil to you and put a big label on the bottom of it, uh, uh, of different labels that we've done of justification of it, and it breaks my heart. Each year in the United States alone, nearly 85,000 people die from alcohol-related causes, making it the third leading preventable cause of death in our country. Globally, alcohol is used as the fifth leading risk factor for premature deaths and disabilities among between the ages of 15 to 49. So why are you pointing this out? Let me tell you, there is so much that is unpreventable that we sit there and break our hearts when we hear about more and more people being uh, uh, attacked by cancer and these things. And break our heart even more when we see the things that we drag into our lives to drag us down those ways of death. Alcohol and college students research has estimated that each year, 1,825 college students between the ages of 18 and 24 die from alcohol-related, unintentional injuries. 696,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 are assaulted by another student who has been drinking. 97,000 students between the ages of 18 and 24 are victims of alcohol-related sexual assaults or date rape. This is from the third and fourth special report of the United States Congress on Alcohol and Health. Medical studies that show that a drink of alcohol straight from the, the report of the United States Congress shortens one lifespan by 20 minutes. There is an estimated 11 to 70 million alcoholics in America. America spends $50 billion a year on alcohol. The government established that alcohol problems cost the American economy $68.6 billion a year. More than 25,000 people a year are killed on the highways every year due to alcohol. One person dies every 20 minutes in an alcohol-related accident. 83% of all fire fatalities are alcohol related. 50 to 60% of all drownings are due to alcohol. Up to 80% of suicides are alcohol related. 65% of all child abuse is alcohol related. 750,000 people suffer injuries due to alcohol related incidents, including abuse, car accidents, and rape. 200,000 people die every year due to alcohol consumption alone, dealing with abuse, murder, or DUI you step back and say, why am I saying all this? Because I, I can't figure out why we entertain something that has done nothing but destroy lives. I've seriously questioned, how does alcohol edify? When I study the Bible and see all that God says that it does for the church to be edifying and for Christians, what has it contributed how has it advanced the cause of Christ? And I'm talking about, yes, no, right now, I'm, I'm not standing on the Capitol right now pleading to a nation. I'm, I'm standing in the midst of Christians that carry their Bible that have been sold out and called out to be light in the world. That's, and that, that's the shame of this when I'm sitting there saying, why are we sitting there debating something of this? In all of my years of pastoring, I have here, I have heard many, many couples confess many things to me. I've had people come in and say, Pastor, we, we've been doing horrible. Pastor, I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you right now that we, we, we've had our lives falling apart for a different that. But I've never had, ever, ever had a couple come into my office and say, Pastor, you know what? We, were, we, were, we hit bottom. We were falling apart. We had this and that. And everything was falling apart in our lives. And we weren't getting along. And I, I was being a bad parent. But, man, praise God, everything turned around. I look over at him and say, well, what, what, what changed things? What, what, what helped you? Well, I don't know. I started drinking and everything just came together. <laughs> In all my years, I, I w- I'd love to hear one, one, one uno statement of somebody saying, I was doing bad, but alcohol made it better. I read these statistics and you say, man, you're getting way off because this is not, well, I I have, to, I have to tell you from my perspective of why this tears me up so bad. The stories are very common in the theme of alcohol that comes across our desk and offices. Godly, loving, faithful people that start off drinking simply from hanging out and drinking with the guys at work or a teen that went out to be able to fit in with his friends and it takes a hold of them. Let me tell you, I've been with so many people that have said the idea that I, I, I have control of this or I can control it. I know my limits. Won't be me. Can I tell you, every person that's ever started to be one of these statistics that started with that same testimony. No one has ever said, hey, tonight I'm going to drive and there's a good chance I could kill somebody. Nobody has ever drank and said that, you know what, I, I, I'm going to do this and, you know, if I mess up my liver, I'll just get another one. No big deal. Nobody has ever started off saying my, my goal is to become an addict. No one has ever said, you know what, I'll drink, but I'll probably end up going to beat my wife and I'll just apologize to her. Nobody premeditates these things. The thing is we're messing with something that wasn't missing, meant to be messed with and it gets a hold of us. It all comes down to the fact that they played with something that took a hold of them and it bit them like a viper. They did not intend to go to jail for life or DUI accident. They don't even remember the incidents. They only intended on having a good time. The Bible is filled with warnings of a lot of things to protect his children. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." So today I have the burden to bring before you the message on what the Bible says of the warnings of alcohol. Does the Bible speak of alcohol? Actually, the Bible speaks of alcohol quite a bit. You know, If you were to study the illustrations, even of what the Bible says in the, uh, uh, about this subject, it presents itself that we can see it even at the Last Supper. We can see it at the first miracle of Jesus Christ. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Wine is throughout the Bible, and there's no way to get a... Away from that. Problems come because we do not understand a clear understanding of what the Bible is referencing or talking about. We know this. But let me say this. And I mean this with all my heart. And this is one of the arguments that I want to plead. The Bible will never, ever contradict itself. The Bible will never, ever contradict itself. So that's why when we have this argument that people come over here and say yes. You can step over this, but just be careful. And then the Bible, when you turn over here and the Bible says, Whoa, be careful, stay away, flee, all these things. Then I have to scratch my head and say, Wait a minute. How How can God condemn something over here and condone it over here? Does that make sense? So the only thing we can do is step back to say, well, we better reevaluate what it's saying because, boy, we're sending a mixed message to our young people. We're sending a mixed message to sit out there and say, son, go out there and play with that viper. Just be careful. Hey, you got to know where your limits are. Be careful when you're touching that. Be careful when you're handling fire because you might get burned. Wine is mentioned 212 times in Scripture, starting in Genesis and going all the way through the New Testament. But I want to take you back initially to understand the time and day and age when water was scarce. You take your time to understand that t- during the Bible days, it was not like we have it. I-, I heard a man recently talk about going to a foreign country not realizing the blessing that we have of clean water. And he was saying how, what a blessing it is that I can go in my house. And he said, when I got back from this mission trip, he said, I ran through my house and counted and was telling my wife, about how many places in our house alone that we can get clean water, And he, he started lay, laying these places out about the sink, and even the toilet has cleaner water than what they have in most places in foreign countries. Well, back in the Bible days, that's how they lived. See, due to the fact of that, the, the, the fact that pure drinking water was so scarce, they, they used uh, wine, or they used grape juice as a means of hydration. When clean drinking water was not available, the fruit of the vine provided safe means of hydration. It was necessary for life. And the Bible speaks very much of it. whole out to the point where even in places of the Bible where one word is mentioned, there's a whole deeper meaning behind it. Let me give you some of those. In Joel chapter 1 verse 10, the Bible says, The field is wasted and the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up. Referencing the fruit of the vine itself. Isaiah 65, verse 8, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. Jeremiah 48, verse 33, And joy and gladness is taken from the plentiful field and from the land of Moab. I have caused wine to fail from the winepress. Examples of these two being put together in Judges chapter 13, verse 14, She may not eat anything that cometh off the vine, neither her drink wine or strong drink, where the two wine and strong drink are mentioned together say, so why are you mentioning that? Within this subject, so many people come back and say, hey, the Bible speaks a lot about wine, and it's okay, and it's okay, and it's not okay here and there. And all this confusion comes from that because of the fact that they've lumped it all into one category. Not understanding that back in the day, they did not have preservation or uh, pasteurization a lot of the methods that we have today, so they used wine as their method, or the juice or the fruit of the vine for their hydration." Study is to point out through this that God has screamed out these warnings. And I want to prove to you and show to you what the Bible says about abstaining from this. Because it is the path of drunkenness. It was David that said, lead me not in the path of righteousness. Or lead me down the path of righteousness for your name's sake. I want to take you to James chapter 1 verse 13. And there's a number of passages that we're going to be looking at. But setting this up of the warning. James chapter 1 verse 13, the Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But let me read that again. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So when is a man tempted? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust or temptation hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin When it is finished, bring it forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Over and over again, the Bible makes it very, very clear that it will not be our God that leads you down this path to be tempted. And so many people sit there and say, oh, but uh, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. And bringing out the justification, I bring you to the book of wisdom where I want to plant and dig into these warnings. In Proverbs 23, verse 29, it says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at wine, they that seek mixed wine. And here is the warning. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. And it breaks it down because Many times in scripture when the wine is being expressed. And we're justification of it because it was used for hydration. The Bible steps into another category and goes. Let me give you a woe of when not to look upon the wine. When it is not right to touch. When it is not right to conceive. When the wine is red. When it giveth its color in the cup. When it moveth itself aright, And then the warning comes in. At last it biteth like a serpent. It stinketh. Or it's uh, stinking. Well, there you go. That's my bias coming out. it like a, an adder. The description is very vivid, very description. It bites like a serpent, it strikes out. So many people with the idea that I can handle it. And the Bible comes in and says, Let me give you a poisonous snake and put it in your lap to pet. How long can you entertain that before it strikes you? How long are you going to be able to sit there and say that you can tame it, you can control it? I know my limits. And the Bible says the description hey, let me put it like this it striketh like a serpent. When you have no idea that it's coming, when I think that I have this under control. I was to go back and give you a good illustration of this, I'd have to take you to Eve in the Bible. She knows what it's like to walk up to a serpent. Eve was in the very presence of evil, and Eve, in the very presence of Satan, did not even realize it. What at first she was calling wrong. She talked about eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God told her not to eat. She quickly looked at differently. She was deceived, but it was not by accident. It was by Satan's plan. And this bite of sin passed upon her husband and so on and so forth throughout history. You cannot control the nature of alcohol any more than you can control the nature of a serpent. Verse 32, At last it biteth like a serpent and stinketh like an adder. The word adder is another word for a viper. This is the warning of the sting or the venom of the viper. Once the viper strikes, the poison slowly begins to spread throughout your bloodstream. It alters you in ways that you did not immediately recognize. This is why so many people do stupid things under the influence do you know why they call it a DUI rather than saying don't drive drunk? Some of these things I was really pulling back because I have two weeks to address this. The next week's message, just so you know, will be a lot different than this one, more painting, uh, uh, pertaining to the application of every Christian, whether you have an opinion about this or not. They call it DUI, driving under the influence, because it's under the influence that alters your state of being able to reason or make good decisions. The reason why most people bring it too far is because once you are under the influence, you begin to do stupid things. And things that you never thought that you would do. Let me give you a biblical illustration, which is in verse 33. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine heart shall utter preserve, uh, perverse things. He thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of a sea, or he that lieth upon the top of a mast. Talking about being on the sea, of, uh, 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 or being out on a boat where you cannot stand. Or have any firm footing. They have stricken me. Shalt thou say I was not sick. They have beaten me. I felt not. When shall I wake? Will I seek it yet again? If that's not. And I'm not going to stand there. I, I could not sit there. And I'm not going to say that this is a disadvantage. Because I do not look at a disadvantage. And say I've never been drunk. I'll be honest. I have never been drunk. And I say that to the glory of God. I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. But I've done that because of the fact that I've put into my heart the warnings that God has said to preserve me from those things. What a good father does when he's telling his children. I think of good people. And I just had this trap, the deception, the sting of a viper. that is I said only in moderation. I have to take you back to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. A man that was a godly man. His man this man's name was Noah. The Bible says that Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. I could go on and on and explain the uncoveredness was doing and taking it further than he ever thought that it would take him, who was a man of God. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 31, I also bring it to another man. Now, Lot, none of us would sit there and say he was the most outstanding citizen or the example of a Christian that we'd use today. But the Bible does say that Lot found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is now old. This is after they were rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah. This is after Lot's wife had passed on from looking back when God told her not to look back. Our father is old and there is not a man in this earth to come unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve the seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father and perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. Verse 35. And they made their father drink wine that night also and the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she shall lay down or when she arose. Thus we were both of the daughters of Lot with uh, with child by their fathers. This is why the Bible warns us. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Let me stop and ask you, since we're on the subject and the Bible is compared to the viper, to the snake, to the serpent, and we know who is compared to that throughout Scripture. Let me take you once again when the Bible says, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, Who does the Bible describe as the deceiver? That old serpent, the devil. He has always worked through deception. He leads us to do things in the power of his deception. The Bible is very clear when it comes to temptation, when it comes to fornication, when it comes to any of these things that the Bible says that Satan has come to deceive us. Even the Bible says when it comes to lust or looking upon a woman or fornication, the Bible says it is sin for a man even to look upon a woman with lust in his heart. The Bible says when it comes to fornication, not moderation, the Bible says not even a hint to abstain. The Bible warns us in Ephesians 4, verse 27, neither give place to the devil, which literally means do not open the door, do not take the bait, do not give him opportunity. Bible says in 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. To tell a college student, yes, go to that frat party and have a great time. Just know when to quit drinking. The Bible does not say to stand firm within the midst of temptation. He said abstain from fleshly lusts which will war against your soul. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. When it comes to temptation, God commands us always to flee, not to fight. There's a reason that when Joseph was with Potiphar's wife and she was in there, and the Bible says when he was tempted, she clung onto him. And you guys know the story of what Joseph did. Joseph, the Bible says, and he left his coat and he ran from her because he knew, even being a man of God, that he could not resist that temptation. So he knew the right thing to do was to flee. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.2, flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, that them that call upon the Lord will do it out of a pure heart. Remember, Alcohol is a controlling addictive substance. People have quickly followed up with this argument and come back to me about food. And and they said, Pastor Tony, I I know you're going to get up there and say this that's come from God, but we're to do it in moderation. I hope you're going to get up and say the same thing because how many people will get up there and and do the same thing when it comes to food? Are you going to preach about overeating? People don't do that in moderation, I knew it would get quiet during that part, so you guys don't leave. I know know we're Baptists, and I know we're in here, but let me tell you, yes, there is a lack uh, of self-discipline when it comes to all these areas, but let me define this just a little bit. Overeating leads to health problems. Pastor Tony, when it comes to eating, people have to do the same thing when it comes to moderation. So because there's people that are fat or overweight, are you going to preach against eating? It's not the same thing at all. Number one... Food is not the controlling agent. It's our weak flesh that is the controlling agent. Can I say that again? It is not the food that you touch that has the ability to control you. It is your weak flesh that does not have the ability to say no. That's why a lot of people just sit there, whether it's sugar or bread or anything else, it's a matter of a fact that we have an appetite that we cannot resist. It is our flesh. People overeat, not because of their addictive nature of pizza, but because they like to eat pizza. Number two, let me say to the same argument, the Bible does not compare food to a viper. Sit there and say it's the same thing. If you want to do that, show me a verse because I'm bringing out the verses that the Bible says abstain from this because it's like a viper. Nowhere in the Bible does it compare apple pie to a viper. when I start preaching against apple pie and people get all worked up the Bible does not warn against the venom of food but it does warn against the flesh once again number three there is not a takeover effect when it comes to food no cop has ever pulled someone over for weaving and pulled them over and said sir how many slices of pizza did you have <laughs> sir I'm going to have to ask you to step out of the car Walk this straight line. Now, you might not be able to see it because of your guts in the way, but it won't be because you overate pizza. And then when they sit there and say, oh, it's the same thing, I'm here to tell you it is not the same thing. Let me tell Christians while we're on the subject. You should control your body. You should take things in moderation when it comes to food. You should know when to quit. You should not overeat. The Bible does talk about being a glutton, and all these other things. Those things are sin. And I'm going to tell you that these things are categories of sin, but I don't think we can put the sin of overeating and the sin of alcohol in the same thing. You might have to go to Jenny Craig, but there's a big difference between going to Jenny Craig and going to AA. There's a big thing, difference between going to Jenny Craig or one of these weight loss centers and having to go to detox. It's because of the fact that alcohol has a controlling agent that when it gets on you, it controls you to the very point that some people have to be hospitalized to, be, to get off the b and detox through medical treatments because you cannot just quit it of yourself. It has already taken a hold of you. So I go back and ask you these questions. How does it edify 1 Corinthians 10, 23, the Bible says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. What is my motive for drinking? I, I, I've asked so many people that have come up to me and asked me this subject about what do Christians believe in this and that. And I step back and I say, wait, wait, wait a minute, let me just ask you, what is your heart for even bringing this up to begin with? What is the motive behind what you are trying to do? Because a lot of these things, we open this door that should never be opened up to begin with. And it is a matter of the heart. I've also asked the question, what good has alcohol done for our nation? I I probably spent five, eight minutes just reading statistics about what it has done to destroy our nation. Why am I saying all this? Because I'm tired of seeing the devil have the upper hand. And he does. He's entrapped so many people. And the Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. The Bible has told us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So when I say this, I have to step back and wonder, what have we allowed or what have we have given place to the devil? We have allowed him to defeat us. I I have so many things on my heart and I really debated of what I would say and how I would say it. The more and more I got into this, I, I, I could not get to, to the point where, and this doesn't always happen, to where I woke up a number of times through the middle of the night. I, I, I've been working on my house, and, and a lot of you guys know that me and Jenny bought a house that we have to fix up, and, and, and Jenny walked into the living room where I was working, and I had a piece of cardboard that I had ripped off something it was just jotting down these notes one after another. And I, and I wrote down and I, I, I read this book about the history behind it. And we're going to get into some more of that stuff next week. I got into a book that talked about the history behind it and the Bible and the breakdown of the words and all this other stuff. And then I thought, you know what, we could pick that stuff apart all day long. But the bottom line is, at the, at the end of the day, I stand before you and plead to you that we are confronted with an issue that is literally hurting us as a nation, as Christians, and as families. I have done so much counseling to good Christian families that eventually through the course of our conversation begins to unveil to me through the history of their downfall this very subject to the point where it burdened me and I said I have to come before the church and begin to address this. What are we playing with? When it comes down to it, the Bible says what you are playing with is a viper. And they sit there and say, I have poked it, I have played with it, and I have, yet not, or I have not yet been bitten by it. And the Bible says, you know what, you will never ever understand the nature of a viper when it's going to strike. I know this is not a typical message, but I can tell you this. There is not a person in this sanctuary right now that has not been affected by this subject. Not a person. So to sit there and say that studying things like this does not apply to us is a lie because it affects all of us. And whether you need to know these things because of where you stand or whether you need to know these things and where you're going to protect others, we do need to know where we stand on these things.